Hi, Margie Kurkowski with Wright Harama Architects. I'm the chair of programs along with Tony Smaniato and Megan Marshall, uh, Studley and JLL. Uh, we have a lot of exciting uh, programs coming up in 2012. Uh, in February, we have two very special programs with distinguished speakers. Our lunch on the 9th will be on tax increment financing, and we have a panel from the City of Chicago, Department of Housing and Economic Development, uh, Alderman from the 28th Ward, the CFO of SNC Electric, and uh, Duffin Phelps will be moderating. On the 15th, we have an evening program, which is an executive briefing on the upcoming G8 and NATO summits. It will be held at the Federal uh, Reserve Bank of Chicago Conference Center. And this is a free program because it's a public service program featuring the Midwest heads of the U.S. Secret Service, current and former Chicago police superintendents, and the executive director of the OEMC. Uh, you should see on your tables, there's a short description of the program. And because we are limited in attendance and capacity, register early. Uh, today's program is being podcast. And you'll see on the Cornet website, we have an extensive library of past programs. And they're all posted uh, straight after the luncheon. Now, if you have your MCR, you do receive one continuing education credit for each lunch you attend. You can see Beth and Chris at the registration tables to make sure you get your credits. And at the end of the program, you'll have an electronic survey in your email inboxes uh, in lieu of paper surveys. So please, we encourage you to provide your feedback. Uh, thank you today to RJ Brennan with IA for helping us with the program. And today's topic, lots of announcements today, sorry, is the 2012 economic forecast. Uh, please welcome to the stage our speakers from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, Scott Brave and Rick Mattoon. Scott and Rick have given their forecast many times in previous Cornet luncheons, and we're very thankful to have you back. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, inviting me to speak again. Uh, so I was here, I think, two years ago. I was going back through my slides while I was pre preparing the presentation for today just to see how much had changed, and it seems like a lot's changed. Uh, I think overall I'll have much better news to share this time. If you think about two years ago, that was not a very, uh, very welcome time coming out of a very deep recession. Uh, right now, two years into a recovery or so. So uh, we'll see here today uh, how, how 2012 is starting to shape up. So what I've got here for you here is a description of real GDP growth. For the last several years, you'll see the magnitude of the recession showing up there in 2008 and 2009. Uh, the last year was a bit of a, a troubling year. It was the year of slower growth, very modest growth, um, coming out of 2010 where we had picked up some momentum. Uh, but coming into the fourth quarter of this year, we're starting to see that momentum build again. And most forecasters, if you look at, for instance, the blue chip consensus forecast for the fourth quarter of this year, are predicting about 3% growth in the fourth quarter, which would be a good number, slightly above trend growth. That would be good news for the labor market. Uh, some downward momentum, hopefully, uh, provided to the unemployment rate. But if you look at those red bars extending out at the, the right edge of the graph, you'll see that that's a bit of an outlier. Most forecasters see, over the next two years, uh, the U.S. economy growing at a rate of right around 25 to 3%, which is somewhere near that uh, trend growth rate. Uh, it's a good number. Uh, trend is not bad, that's for sure. It's much better than negative growth or no growth at all. Uh, but it's still not probably weak enough to bring down the unemployment rate considerably. 
Now, if you look at the, at the past year to see kind of where the, the sources of weakness and strength were, you'll see early in the year when we had a, almost a negative growth rate, a very small positive growth, uh, the big contributor there with pulling things down was government expenditures. I think that's the purple color for you here. You can make that out, or dark blue it looks like almost from this perspective. Uh, government expenditures in the first quarter came in very weak, and that kind of dragged everything down. But for the year as a whole, uh, you really notice that what really differs in 2011 from 2010 is the consumer spending. The consumer pulled back a little bit. There were a number of shocks that hit the economy in the past year that really contributed to that, one being commodity price spikes, um, also, some of the disruptions that occurred in the manufacturing sector coming out of the Japanese disasters, supply chain disruptions there, and whatnot. So most of what I have to talk about today is in the consumer sector, but I'll speak more broadly about how that affects the rest of the sectors of the economy. So if you look at the labor market, for instance, here, the basic, the fundamentals driving the consumer uh, situation, you'll see a very similar story to what I've just said. It, we started off the year with pretty good job growth, around 200,000 jobs being added per month in the private sector. And we ended the year at about the same level, but in between there was uh, quite a bit of variation, uh, quite a bit of weakness, actually. And you can see this in the unemployment rate over the last year. We kind of moved sideways. So generally, you need a, about 150,000 jobs or more to be added per month to really provide uh, downward momentum to the unemployment rate. So that's picking up population growth uh, more than anything else. Uh, 200,000 uh, jobs is, you know, we're right now at a level that we're starting to see some downward momentum on the unemployment rate, but that um, is very different than what we saw earlier in the year in the mid-summer months or so. We were getting down to more like 50,000. Not surprisingly, during that time, unemployment started to pick up a little bit. You actually saw another round of layoffs start to pick up. Unemployment insurance claims, initial claims, spiked up at one point in time this year after they'd reached that sort of magical 400,000 level that most people think of as ind indicating labor market recovery. Uh, but we've seen some uh, return to labor market strength here in the last several months, and we're back below that level again now on claims. So in all in all, it seems like we're starting to build some strength in the labor market, or at least stabilizing it. For the most part, you'll also notice here, if you look in the right-hand side graph, uh, the unemployment rate, the blue line there, at the very end of the the graph, there's a, a red line coming off of that, and that's a projected forecast based on the blue chip consensus for what the unemployment rate is going to do in the next couple years. And you'll see there's not much optimism there. It's, it's basically coming down, but it's coming down very slowly. It's ending 2013 at a level about 8%. Right now we're at 8.5%. So um, it's consistent with their forecast for about trend growth. Uh, with growth about trend, it's very hard to drive the, the labor market recovery much stronger, but uh, it is a recovery nonetheless. Now to compare this in historical terms, uh, these are what are called spider charts here. So I've kind of plotted the path of output growth and manufacturing output um, coming out of three of the deepest recessions in the post-war era. The 81-82 recession, the 73-75 recession, and of course the most recent one. Uh, you'll see that it's generally been the case, and I think I might have talked about this the last time that I was here, that the deeper the recession, the stronger the recovery, sort of the rubber band theory of the U.S. economy. You pull a rubber band down and it wants to snap back up. The harder you pull it, the more it wants to snap back. Uh, that wasn't what happened coming out of this recession. I'll go into a little bit why that was and what, what I think that means going forward. Uh, but we definitely had output growth that is much slower than what you would expect coming out of a deep recession. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at manufacturing output or industrial production here, it was pretty much tracking that 73-75 recession recovery uh, until the past year. So the disruptions in uh, 
that accompanied the Japanese disasters really affected manufacturing quite, quite strongly in the mid part of this year. Uh, kind of bent this curve a little bit off of the path that they had been on, but it's coming back. The real story here, though, why we've seen such a slow recovery is on the household side. It's been a painfully slow recovery for households. If you look at measures like the unemployment rate, you can see that coming out of uh, this recession, the decline in the unemployment rate has been very, very shallow. Um, even 73, 75, where you, you didn't see a whole lot of improvement, you still saw much more than you have here. And it's really evident if you look at consumption, so consumer spending, that consumers are really still retrenching from the wealth that was lost during the recession, kind of getting their houses back in order. And it's really affected the path of uh, growth coming out of this recession. You can also see uh, that the blue chip pretty much expects this, this slow path to continue over the, the fourth quarter of this year. Now, having said that, it's really not all that surprising kind of uh, the nature of the recovery that we've had, um, if you can consider the type of the recession we had. So when recessions are accompanied by very deep financial crises, recoveries tend to take longer. So that's something that makes this one a little bit unique compared to 81, 82, and 73, 75. There were some financial disruptions during those periods, but nothing that lasted as long and was as stressful as, as what we saw um, in 07 through 09. So this, this chart here is actually taken from some of my work at the Chicago Fed trying to forecast uh, real GDP growth based on two index indices that we produce, our National Activity Index, which is basically a measure of non-financial business activity, and our National Financial Conditions Index, which is a measure of financial activity. The black line here plots GDP growth, uh, looking one quarter ahead in time or looking two quarters ahead in time, depending on whether you're on the left or right-hand side. Uh, what I wanted to point out here is if you look at the blue line, which is the blue dash line, it's basically a, a prediction of what GDP growth would be one quarter from now if we were standing at the time in 2007 that's marked here. You'll see that blue line actually tracks the black line pretty well. Um, it, what it misses is the depth of the recession. Uh, but once you take into account the, the, the shocks that were hitting the financial sector at that time, once you put in this, this financial conditions index into this forecasting equation, you start to pick up the magnitude of that decline. So really, the depth of what of the recession that we experienced can be largely explained by these financial shocks that we were experiencing at that point in time. Now, coming out of the recovery, you'll see the blue line here starts to pick that up much more quickly. But the length of time in which it, it took to really recover, the red line is, is much better predictor here. So it's really these financial shocks or the recovery from these financial shocks that are really driving um, this more modest recovery. So th this is our national activity index again. Just a few things I wanted to point out. And hopefully this will be something that would be useful for, for you to monitor as well. It's something we produce monthly. Um, it's a weighted average of 85 different indicators of economic activity. Uh, it's what I like to refer to as a Goldilocks index. So a value of zero here is exactly where you want to be. That's the porridge that's just right. That's the sort of trend growth. Uh, positive values are the porridge that's getting hot, and the negative values being the cold porridge. Uh, now, negative values below negative 0.7, that, those tend to align with recessions. So you can see that uh, 07, 09 period, uh, the depth of that, that recession and the length as well. Now, coming out of that recession, you can also see the modesty of the recovery, right? Uh, 73, 75, 81, 82, this index shot well above zero coming out of the recession. We didn't quite see that coming out this time. But we were above zero as early as early 2011. 
It wasn't until the, the spring and, and summer months where we started to see some weaknesses developing in manufacturing that the index started to, to pull below that. And we ended the year at a slightly uh, below zero level. Now, if you break down uh, these 85 indicators into their kind of groupings, natural groupings, to see where this weakness or strength is coming from, it's quite clear that uh, consumption and housing, or personal consumption and housing here, which I think is the, the blue label, uh, you can see how persistently negative it was uh, throughout this recession and recovery. It's kind of been pulling down um, this index for a very long time. It's kind of what's holding back uh, a much stronger recovery. Earlier in the year, um, personal con or sorry, production and employment and sales were all doing quite well. They were what was pulling the index up. But by year's end, um, they were more than uh, neutral or more negative than they were to begin the year. And if you take into account how weak consumption and housing was throughout, that really explains how we ended up at the year at a slightly negative number. Manufacturing plays a, a big role in both our national activity index, but particularly for our district. So if you're looking at our region in particular, to get a sense of uh, what to expect in 2012, and Rick will have much more to say on this, but uh, we do produce a similar index for our region called the Midwest Economy Index. It's also this sort of weighted average Goldilocks measure. And you can see that this uh, Midwest Economy Index, or MEI, actually did much better in, in 2011 than the national number did. Uh, we were really benefiting from the strength in manufacturing earlier in the year. It wasn't until the manufacturing sector pulled back a little that we started to see the two come back into a line. The interesting thing about that is even though manufacturing weakened, it still, in, according to this index, remained a positive contributor. It was still a source, a source of strength. It was when manufacturing weakened that everything else kind of weakened as well and became this sort of neutral or negative um, contributor. It's really a good sense of what's been going on in this recovery. It's been a, very much a manufacturing, <clears throat> excuse me, manufacturing recovery, and the other sectors have been kind of pulled with, along with it. So uh, to see bigger strength or much more strength in 2012, uh, you need to kind of see that become more uniform across sectors of the economy. One of the things that's holding that back, uh, that's affecting the service sector, is, is most certainly the consumer. So if you look at measures of consumer spending here, we're still well off the trend that we were um, on. Uh, prior to the recession. Now, you might think that that trend was a little elevated. Maybe consumers were overextended, spending a little bit beyond their means. But even if you take that into account, at best, we're back to the trend or slightly below it still. Uh, but it's improving. You know, the last several months, particularly in the fall and winter, we've seen some pickup in um, consumer spending, particularly in auto sales. Auto sales have improved quite a bit over the year. Uh, there's a lot of replacement demand. People postpone purchases of autos uh, during the recession. The average age of the vehicle, or the fleet of vehicles right now is at a record high. It's something that should keep providing stimulus uh, to the auto sector going forward. Retail sales did pretty well during the holiday season. Uh, today's nominal number for December was a little bit lower than expected, but overall, over the last several months, over the fourth quarter in general, uh, spending was, was pretty good. Even in the housing sector, where things are still pretty depressed if you look at, at starts, uh, there is some improvement. So you're starting to see multifamily construction pick up, apartment buildings. We hear that a lot uh, for the Beige Book here in our district, that there's a lot of demand for building apartment buildings. People might not necessarily be buying single-family homes anymore, but they still need somewhere to live. And housing starts are at such a depressed level, they're much, uh, for, very much below what you would expect to see just to keep up with sort of replacement and population growth over time. So, Looking forward in 2012, you would expect that 
housing uh, you know, is, is primed for a rebound. I've been saying that for several years. Everyone has. But it's starting to, to seem like there might be some momentum there, uh, particularly in the multifamily market. The single-family market still has some disruptions accompanying uh, the foreclosures and whatnot, downward pressure on prices. But there, even there, there seems to be some improvement lately. So if you look at the, the household balance sheet side, this is another positive sign. Uh, you're seeing that this process of deleveraging, so households paying off debt, saving more, uh, seems to be well underway. And it, it, there might be even some signs that it, it's starting to maybe level off or reach a sustainable level here. So you've seen households pay off their debt quite considerably, credit card debt, in particular, uh, mortgage debt. Now, some of that is by default. Um, that is factored in here, but it's not just default. It's also paying down uh, mortgages uh, more quickly. And if you look, if you measure household financial obligations relative to their disposable income, which is what's on the right-hand side here, see by these measures, households have their finances back in order to a level of what they would have had them in the mid-90s. That's quite an improvement if you look at where they came from in 06, 07. So the, with those numbers reaching those levels, and hopefully here starting to, to level off, at least the most recent numbers seem to show some suggestion of that, it seems like households are getting their balance sheets back in order. And that would be the, the number one thing you would need to see to, to really uh, bring the consumer back into the, to the economy. Not only that, but financial conditions still seem to be accommodative. Now, a lot of that is, of course, due to, to our monetary policy, which remains very accommodative. But the thing I wanted to point out here using another one of our um, indices is that even taking into account all the disruptions we saw in Europe, all the, the uh, financial tightening that coming out of the European sovereign debt crisis, um, measures over here, while they tighten some, are still relatively accommodative. And you can see that here in, in this index I plotted. This is our financial conditions index where we've adjusted it for the level of economic growth at each point in time. So you would think during a normal kind of uh, credit business cycle, these two would come into a line at a point so that they would both be about zero. So um, this index at zero means the financial conditions are about what you would expect given the level of economic growth. As you can see, we're at a, a value that's slightly negative. So financial conditions are definitely still accommodative, more accommodative than one you would uh, normally see given this, the small level of growth we've seen. There was some tightening over the course of the year, beginning in, the, in the, the summer, going through the fall, coming out of the European issues and our own issues in August as well, um, associated with the debt ceiling and some of the uncertainty that resulted there. Uh, but it's still negative, and there still seems to be some improvement going on in financial markets. It's a good sign going forward in 2012 to kind of eliminate some of these headwinds that we've faced the last several years. Now, having said that, there are markets that are lagged this recovery are lagging this recovery. And one of those is definitely the real estate market. So if you look at real estate lending, you look at measures of loan standards. So for instance, here we look at our senior loan officer opinion survey, which is conducted by the Board of Governors, basically interviewing a large number of senior loan officers in, in commercial banks and asking them, are they increasing or, or not increasing, but whether they're tightening or loosening standards. If you look at measures relative to commercial mortgages, commercial real estate, and both uh, residential mortgages, you'll see they're no longer reporting that they're tightening standards, but they're not reporting that they're weakening them either or loosening them. So we've kind of stabilized here, but we're not seeing a dramatic improvement just yet. Uh, if you look at measures of loans outstanding, real estate loans outstanding, you're also seeing these still declining. Uh, so banks are still working off real estate loans from their portfolio. But the decline is, is also slowing as well, so the momentum here is pushing in the other direction. 
Now, if I were to put up the, which I didn't do here, but if I were to put up a slide like the, the one on the right-hand side that looked at commercial and industrial loans, you would actually see that those are growing and growing quite strongly. So there are areas of bank lending that have, have recovered over the past year and have some momentum to them. So hopefully uh, real estate is, is right behind. If you look at the secondary commercial mortgage market, there's also some improvement here. Uh, CMBS issuance picked up over the last year. You, know, you can see it's nothing like what it was at the peak. It's nothing what, even like what you would, might consider normal level, but there was some improvement. And the overall cost of credit is, is still quite high, so CMBS spreads are still elevated. They're more in line with uh, the AAA uh, corporate bond spread, which is where they were before the crisis. Uh, during the crisis, they spiked up and looked more like a high-yield bond spread. Uh, so they, they pulled back, but you can see cost of credit is, is still pretty elevated. Now, there are some signs in the fundamentals in commercial real estate which might lead you to believe that things are on an upswing. Um, private construction has most certainly been increasing over the course of the year. And there's sort of these leading indicators of uh, private construction activity. The one I plotted here is the architectural billings index, a value of 50 for that index, which is the, the red line here in the left-hand side graph, suggests expansion. So these are when there's, there's more billings coming in, coming onto the books and coming off. Uh, you can see we, we breached that 50 level uh, in 2010 for a while, and that kind of led the recovery that we saw this year. Now coming into the end of 2011, we're getting very close to that 50. Again, and if you, I think I plotted a three-month moving average here. If you look at just the raw monthly numbers, the, I think the December or November number actually broached 50. So there's, there's some sense in which there seems to be some momentum building here in private construction, too. And there, there's probably good reason for this. If you look at things like vacancy rates, office and industrial vacancy rates, while they're still elevated, they seem to have plateaued and then started to improve. I think these measures only go through the third quarter of 2011, but some of the, the more... Um, Frequent measures have, have confirmed that this trend is starting to develop. And the anecdotal accounts we hear from the Beige Book suggest that as well. Now, there are some elements of the market that are still strained. I would say uh, retail in particular is not, not growing very quickly. But there is some sense in which you're starting to develop some strength here in the commercial real estate sector. Now, be before I hand it over uh, to Rick to talk more about the state and local issues, I thought I should probably say something about inflation. As a central banker, I almost have to say something about inflation. Um, it, it's our main goal to achieve price stability. Um, we've kind of seen a, a tale of uh, two indices, if you want to put it that way, this year. So if you look at prices excluding food and energy, it varies minimal price growth this year, an inflation rate of about 1.5% near year's end. Once you throw food and energy in there, you get something very different. You're talking something more like a 3% inflation rate. And really a good sense of these commodity price pressures that we saw develop early in the year that impacted consumers and also the manufacturing sector. Um, part of that due to probably to the supply chain disruptions uh, that developed in manufacturing. The good news is those commodity price pressures have started to abate. They're starting to go away. And you're starting to see even overall headline inflation come back down. And most forecasts uh, for core inflation going forward have it kind of staying at the level that it's been at, this 1.5% rate, which is good news for us as a central bank because this 1.5% to 2.5% 2% um, range for core inflation is pretty much what we consider to be in the, the price stability uh, area of our mandate. Having said that, you know, commodity price pressures, the, the pass-through from those can be quite variable. So there might still be some pass-through yet to occur over the next couple months. Um, it, there's generally a lag. 
Um, we didn't see all that much pass through earlier in the year, but there was some, and there's likely to be a little bit more. Another reason, or the main reason, why most forecasters don't expect to see a, lo a lot of inflation in, in 2012 is that we're still uh, increasing productivity here. Um, firms are becoming very cost effective. Uh, I think that's one of the main lessons to come out of this recession. While they haven't been very quick to rehire, they've been very quick to become very lean and very productive, getting much more out of a smaller amount of labor than they ever have. Uh, having said that, that, that also means something else, that their unit labor costs are also growing very slowly. So their effective cost uh, of producing output given a unit of labor is still growing very slow. Uh, it's slightly positive coming out of a period where it was declining. Uh, without these sort of wage pressures kind of driving um, consumer spending, driving the broader um, inflationary pressures in the economy, it's not surprising that most people don't expect to see uh, robust inflation in 2012. Okay, so overall, uh, I think my forecast is for a slow but steady recovery to continue in 2012. There are definitely some sources of uncertainty in, in this forecast. Uh, most forecasters are starting to see that global growth is slowing or projecting global growth to slow. A lot of that is coming out of Europe. Uh, also some concern over China. Uh, for our district, which is very manufacturing driven and relies on exports um, quite a bit, that, that's a bit of, you know, unsettling. But for the most part, it looks like that strength is going to continue. The other uh, source of uncertainty is policy uncertainty, um, both fiscal and monetary. Um, I think Rick will have much more to say about the state and local fiscal issues. I just wanted to briefly say in the policy uncertainty side, uh, it seems like a lot of that is resolving itself here. Uh, one of the things the Fed is now planning to do is release projections for the federal funds rate, um, just like it releases projections for GDP growth and inflation. And that should provide um, all of you with a better sense of what we're intending to do and what we see going forward. And then finally, if you're interested in some of these indices that I talked about today, if you'd like to, to track them on your own, uh, you can find all of them available on our website, chicagofed.org, and you can actually sign up for email alerts to receive them directly to your inbox when they're released each month. I'll hand it over to Rick. Thank, thanks, Scott. Um, my job is to sort of put into context what Scott's excellent presentation on the U.S. macro economy and then drill down a little bit about how do we think this is going to affect Illinois and Chicago specifically. Now, I have to say, I'm, I'm very pleased to be back here again. Um, I have to say that this was discussed at the lunch table. Generally speaking, I don't like to do repeat uh, you know, presentations because somebody might remember something I said in a previous year that might not have come true. So um, as, as general practice, we don't like to do this. And then perhaps more importantly, I, I literally have run out of economist jokes at this point, um, which is, is perhaps more disconcerting to you than anybody else since that often is the high point of my presentation. Um, so I have, to, I have to recycle a very old, but one of my favorite ones, which uh, is, is very simple, which is a person basically decides to become an economist when they realize they don't have quite enough personality to be either an accountant or an actuary. All right? <laughs> um, so, so with that being said, that sort of sets a, sets a bar for what you should expect from my presentation. Um, so in looking back at what I talked to you about last year, about Illinois and Chicago, a lot of the same themes really main, are maintained at this point. Um, Illinois and Chicago underperformed during this economic cycle, both during the recession and coming out so far in recovery. The only good news is, is in the particular index that Scott's produced on regional economic conditions, Illinois actually was the biggest contributor to growth in the last measure. 
Um, so perhaps that suggests that maybe Illinois is starting to catch up or maybe we're hitting some sort of a turning point. But up until that particular measure came out, as almost all the figures I'm going to show you, um, Illinois is definitely a lagger in terms of its uh, particular behavior. The evidence on why it's lagging and why Chicago is lagging is really mixed, all right? And this is where I really trip myself up on previous conversations I've had with you. I've suggested in the past that one of the big conundrums for people who look at this region's economy is that they'll say, well, for Illinois and for Chicago to really succeed in the future, what it has to do is sort of escape the velocity of the Midwest economy. Um, the Midwest is sort of perceived as a declining region. If Chicago and Illinois can be seen more as a global player with linkages outside of the region, it will grow faster. The problem is, is right now that the growth has really been being derived from Midwestern firms. So as manufacturing and agriculture have driven the Midwest economy, um, Chicago, if we are still linked to this Midwest economy, in theory should be benefiting very strongly from this sort of growth, and yet that hasn't showed up. So it seems like we're sort of in this in-between kind of mixed world where we're, maybe we're global, maybe we're Midwest, but it doesn't seem we benefit from either direction in terms of right now as to where growth is coming from. Um, so that's, that's concerning. If you look at Chicago specifically, um, the big lagging area has been business and professional services. Um, Chicago is overwhelmingly a business and professional services industry town um, that has it performed very poorly during this recession and the recovery has been fairly um, shallow at this particular time. And we've had lots of stops and starts at this point. So for example, Hotel sales were really hot at the beginning of 2011, and then they faded away. So there's a sense in which it's been sort of like we seem to be headed in a direction, and then we pull back from it. So that's been an issue. One of the concerns that I voiced last year continues to be public finance. Um, no matter where you look at it, whether it's on sort of the state level, city level, um, individual municipalities, our finances are tenuous at best. Um, last week, Moody's downgraded Illinois' geo debt to A2. Um, citing the fact that despite the fact that we had record tax increases, we really haven't direct, addressed any of the structural deficit facing the state at this point. Um, so Illinois is still, I mean, we're now the lowest rated um, state in the country at this point. Um, so that's a big issue moving forward. And that introduces a lot of uncertainty to people. Not so much as to what the current tax structure is they're facing, but their perception of what maybe the future tax structure might be or the future services that they might have to face. So that's really significant. The bottom line, though, also have, have emphasized every time is Illinois and Chicago also still have tremendous assets. And these are assets that could set us up for very strong growth in the future. The question is, are we leveraging them appropriately? So turning to Illinois first, this is the Illinois unemployment rate plotted. And if I had taken this to the last month, what you have seen Illinois is the blue line. Illinois actually exceeded Michigan for having the highest unemployment rate of states in the region. Now, given, again, that we have an economy that is most closely linked to the U.S., I mean, if you took shares of the Illinois economy and plotted them against the U.S., it'd look like almost the exact same figure. Um, you would expect us to at least have a similar unemployment rate as the nation, and instead, again, we're not even doing well within the Midwest context. So Illinois has definitely been lagging in terms of that. A lot of this is because key industries have really had very uneven rebounds. So if you look at this particular figure, what you can see is you know, areas like manufacturing, after having a very sharp decline, have really sprung back at an extremely fast rate. And we're seeing that throughout the Midwest. Lots of our states, like Michigan, are seeing you know, significant gains in things like auto employment and things like that. And so those have really sort of turned around the way they have. But the business and professional services, as you can see, the decline was fairly, uh, was fairly sharp. 
and the recovery has been very modest at this point. And in real estate, you're still in a situation in which there really hasn't been a recovery. So key industries that sort of drive the economy really haven't been doing all that well. So it's a very uneven picture. That also translates into output. If you look at output, again, amongst the five states that comprise our district, Illinois is last in terms of output growth. Um, so again, you don't think necessarily of Michigan or Indiana as being hot economies, but their economies, they're growing at a faster pace right now than Illinois' economy is. And that translates into housing. Again, the same figure, Illinois' last in terms of housing price rebounds. And you're looking at this relative, again, to other Midwest states that, again, aren't necessarily perceived as being particularly hot places to be. Now, if you look at Chicago, one of the things you have to understand is Illinois is definitely two economies, all right? There's the Chicago economy, which is the red bars, and then there's the rest of the state, which is the black bars. So Chicago's economy is overwhelmingly dominated by services, professional business services, health and education services, you know, uh, the finance sector, all these sorts of areas, where the rest of the state is more dominated by manufacturing, agriculture, and government in terms of its structure. But the reality is that Chicago obviously drives the Illinois economy. So as Chicago goes, so does the, sort of the rest of the state in terms of its future. So if you turn to Chicago, these are the issues that I think we're probably most concerned about looking forward. Um, first is, is clearly city finances. Um, while they've clearly stabilized at this point, the city has a lot of problems. Um, you're just starting to catch up the decline in property tax growth, all right? So if you're looking at national surveys at this point, for the first time in a great long, long time, you're actually seeing municipalities expecting to actually have a downturn in actual property tax revenues. And this is going to accelerate over the next several years as the reassessment cycle sort of kicks in. So you're going to see this get worse, okay, in terms of revenues. Um, with declining properties, that's going to work its way through the system, and that's going to make the city have to look for other sources for balancing its budget. One of the things that clearly has been tried in the past is selling things, all right? But the city, in some ways, is running out of things to sell, or at least things that look attractive to sell. So, um, you know, there's speculation we may do another run at uh, trying to sell off or at least Midway Airport. Um, there's always been a sense that O'Hare is potentially the crown jewel that could be sold off. But there's lots of concerns about doing this correctly so that taxpayers are protected in terms of the future and that you're not just trying to close an immediate deficit by doing this. Um, recovery in key sectors has been, again, really uneven. Finance in particular has done very poorly during this uh, recession and very poorly in terms of recovery. Real estate is, still has lots of sort of problem areas, um, particularly in Chicago. There's still a significant surplus of condos in the South Loop. Um, many of those are trying to be converted now into rentals because there simply isn't a, really a condo market in that area. Um, commercial real estate is still a problem. And if you look at the suburban picture, it's still pretty much of a wreck in terms of um, where real estate is headed at this point. Um, another thing that I wanted to sort of discuss, and I'm going to have a couple of examples of this, is what's Chicago's image? Um, because perception in many cases actually becomes sort of reality. So one of the things I'm going to do is I want to spend a little bit of time of, of uh, sort of a catalog I did of various studies that ranked Chicago across various sorts of things to come up. Is there a clear image as to how the rest of the world perceives Chicago, and does that tell us anything about where our future is headed? So those are sort of where I'm sort of where we think Chicago is kind of headed. So if you look at unemployment employment performance, what you can see is again this very uneven path in terms of performance. So you have some sectors gaining, but even those that are gaining are gaining at fairly modest levels. And this is benchmarked against October of 2009. So you can see the gaining sectors, you know, again, are having you know, modest growth, 1% growth overall um, for total jobs, total private sector jobs in Chicago. 
over this period of time, but you're still seeing significant declines in sectors that you'd like to see you know, you know, participating more fully right now in terms of recovery. And then the same thing happens when you look at key sectors like information, um, financial activities, those sorts of things. I mean, you're still losing jobs relative to where you were in 2009. So again, this uneven employment performance is something that you have to pay attention to. Um, this is, again, is being driven by the key industries within the city. So if you look at Chicago Metro, again, the underperforming industries are pretty clear. Financial activities, again, is still well below where it, um, below where it was at the beginning of the cycle. And the other sectors, with the exception of manufacturing, have, sort of showed, so, have had sort of tepid growth at this particular time in history. And what this has added up to for Chicago is something that you really would not like to see, which is Chicago actually has a higher unemployment rate than the rest of the state and a higher unemployment rate than most of the Midwest, and yet we're you know, considered sort of the bellwether of the entire region's economy. Um, so that sort of you know, dynamic is something that is, is clearly of concern and you'd want to pay attention to um, in the upcoming year. So enough about data. So this is my exercise. So a few years ago, one of the things that happened for Chicago was when we were on the upswing, there was lots of attention to Chicago as being one of the dominant kind of urban economies in America. I think this kind of peaked in 2007 when The Economist magazine actually had Chicago on the front cover with the subtitle of Chicago, a success story. All right, at that point, it was seen as Chicago was almost a model for economic growth within the country. And what you've seen since then is sort of a question which I raised a few years ago, which is, has Chicago sort of lost its mojo at this particular point in time? Now, at the past, the idea of that we lost our mojo was based on things like we didn't get the Olympic bid, Oprah decided to close down and move away, um, you know, the mayor decided he was going to retire. And so all of a sudden, it seemed like all this sort of sense of that we had this mojo was sort of, so I wanted to do, do a quick review of studies that are out there that would examine how does the rest of the world perceive us. So these are a bunch of studies that came out in 2011 that ranked Chicago across a number of dynamics. And what I think you will see by the end of this is, is our position within the world is absolutely crystal clear. And I'm saying that with great deal of uh, sarcasm. Um, so if you look at the first one, we have these sporting news, all right? Chicago is right the fourth best city for sports, all right? So we're a great sports town. That's really good, okay? So the only ones that were better were Dallas, Boston, Philadelphia, and we're ahead of New York, all right? Um, so we're a great place for people who like sports, all right? So that's a good thing, okay? So then men's health came out and ranked 100 best cities for men, all right? This was based on a variety of quality of life indicators, including the number of available single women within the city. So it's a, uh, it's a highly objective study, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> Chicago didn't do too well, okay? So we're 73 on that one. Milwaukee is 72 and Indianapolis is 74. So we're well within that sort of Midwest comfort band, but not a great place if you're a guy, okay, in terms of this. So, so that's not so good. So then men, Men's Health also said, are we a particularly networked city, okay? So there's a sense of, for, particularly for young creatives, you want to be in a place where people are, you know, tweeting and where all this sorts of information flows is going. You know, how does Chicago do on that? Well, not so good, okay? So we come in at C plus in terms of their rating. And so, so we're, we're linked with hot spots such as Indianapolis, uh, Des Moines, Jersey City, Fargo, and Cleveland, all right? So that's our, that's our social networking capacity, all right? So there's a, a little bit of concern that maybe we're not the hot, cool place to go if you're a young person, even though we've got Groupon. Um, so more studies, all right? So, um, so there's a study that was done that looked at whether or not we're a desirable location for college students, all right? So how good are we as a location for college students? Of 15 major metros, Chicago ranked 11th, all right? 
Um, so we weren't really seen as particularly good place to go to school either, okay, in terms of that. Now, since both Scott and I went to the University of Chicago, that could be because of the University of Chicago that we're not a particularly enjoyable place to go to school, but, um, but it could be for other reasons too, okay. So then it comes to those studies that look at sort of our international position, and this, interestingly, is where we do pretty well, okay, in most of these studies. So this was one that was done by City Private Bank had commissioned, and Chicago comes out 11, all right, of all the global cities that are out there. We're ahead of San Francisco, Hong Kong, Sydney, Frankfurt. I mean, we're sort of on the map in terms of that, and we're particularly get a high ranking for knowledge and influence, all right? So we're seen as a place which produces a lot of knowledge and has the ability to influence things. So there's some sort of a lever that maybe we can work with there. Now, of course, Business Week decided to do their first inaugural best U.S. cities ratings this year, and we came out 75 out of 100. But as I pointed out, the winner was Raleigh, North Carolina, so maybe we don't care whether we, we came out 75 out of 100. Um, so even, even more good news. Okay, so back to this globalization in world cities. Uh, another one of these studies looked at Chicago, and we ranked as an alpha plus city in this, okay? And that really puts in the very top tier in terms of being a global place to sort of do business. And it puts us in the company of Hong Kong, Paris, Shanghai, Tokyo, you know, Dubai and Sydney, and only New York and London were considered alpha plus plus cities, all right? So there's only two cities that are above us in terms of that ranking category. So how about quality of living, okay? So Mercer does a survey, and what they came out with at the top, 50 cities worldwide were 43, all right? So we're tied with Madrid and Washington, D.C. So quality of living, maybe not so great. Um, are we happy? Apparently not, all right? Um, <laughs> Chicago is the seventh most miserable city according to the Forbes 2011 index, all right? We have uh, long commutes, high sales tax, bad weather, crime, foreclosures, and bad home price trends, all right? Um, so how about job growth? Well, we don't really get job growth either, all right? So in best cities, for job growth, we're 41 out of 65. Again, continuing this path that Chicago is kind of underperforming in this thing. But perhaps we're innovative, okay? And we don't do bad on the innovation index, all right? So on the innovation index, we rank nine among USA's 34 globally. And we're classified just behind the top tier classification, okay? So I want to make it absolutely clear what my conclusions were from this particular exercise that I conducted. That is, that we're a globally innovative city that is generally miserable particularly for men and college students, is slow to add jobs and isn't very socially no networked, but has a really good sports culture. Right? Um, so on, on, that, on that basis, I think that's one of the things that suggests from a reputational point of view, maybe we have something to work on, okay? Because it's, it's clear, it's, there's not a clear direction, all right? It's very muddled in terms of how we're perceived, okay? Um, I want to touch briefly a little bit on Chicago's real estate market. Um, this is all from the Urban Land Institute studies that they've done. And again, it's a recurring theme for Chicago. The good news for Chicago is we're a 24-hour city. That puts us in a special sort of class of places. The bad news is we have bad demographics. Um, we're tied to a poor regional economic base and being in the Midwest. Um, we still are cannibalizing our Class A space in terms of the way in which we handle new development, new swanky development. You just, I mean, my favorite thing is, is whenever they announce a new Class A building is figure out which law firm is going to move from their current Class A space to the new Class A space. Um, so you're still seeing lots of that. So there's not a lot of pricing power within the market, which is hard. Um, the suburban market is still extremely weak um, at best. Um, you know, again, we didn't have necessarily tremendous overbuilding during this cycle, but the one area in which we do have overbuilding is still in condos at this point. There's still a glut there, and I agree with 
Um, what Scott said, retail obviously is still weak, and that's sort of a national thing. And then government finances was, you know, is a real issue out there. And at this point, the other concern was what happened when Mayor Daley left. And I think, you know, with new Mayor Emanuel, you've seen sort of a real sort of stability being added at City Hall, which for most people has suggested has been a positive, but that was certainly a big concern coming into this year. Um, other indicators of Chicago and the Midwest real estate conditions, um, the downtown availability has gotten a, a, a bit better. So if you're looking at this point, your office availability is down to 14.3 from 15.1. So that's a significant improvement in terms of that market. Suburban market has also improved modestly. So you're seeing, again, some traction. Some of what Scott was maybe suggesting is starting to happen. And then one of the other biggest issues for real estate people last year was the amount of commercial real estate refinancing. Um, the Midwest was really over-concentrated in terms of the amount of refinancing that had to go on last year. So out of the total for the U.S., we had almost a 40% share that was occurring within the Midwest. So the fact that a lot of this stuff got refinanced is probably a really good thing going forward. And if you look at the shares, what you can see is, is what's different about the Midwest is the refinancings were con concentrated in industrial property and land, all right? as opposed to in other parts of the country where it's more commercial real estate that was driving it. So we had different things that needed to get refinanced, but for the most part, they managed to do it, all right, in terms of that. So that's sort of a good factor going forward. If you look at the sort of the homeowner market at this point, one of the things I like to look at is negative equity at this point. And again, we're not in terrible shape in terms of that. So if you look at, you know, the U.S., you know, you're bumping around at this point, what, 22 Illinois is a little bit below that, okay, about 21.5% of mortgages have negative equity. Um, Chicago is a little worse in terms of that. Um, but if you compare that, again, to sort of the worst places in the, in the country, like Las Vegas, obviously, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, significantly better in terms of that. So we don't have necessarily the same loss in equity that occurred other places. But then if you pick a, say, like Pittsburgh, which is a Midwest city, as you can see, they have virtually no negative equity in their particular market. So it's a very different picture. So final word, um, the biggest problem, again, looking forward, and this is why I said last year, I think is still Illinois' fiscal landscape at this point. Um, you know, again, we were downgraded just this week. Um, and at this point, the problem is, is that last year we had a, a very significant tax increase for both personal income tax and the corporate income tax. And the reality is, is that hasn't generated enough revenue to do more than sort of stabilize the general operating budget of the state. Um, it was not large enough to actually address anything in terms of pension liability, which were last in the country, and, um, or ad address other sorts of major costs that the state still has to face. So there's still a lot of work that has to be done on the fiscal side to sort of establish a sense of that the Illinois really has sort of a confident future going forward. Um, I think that if you look at this point, what people see when they look at Illinois is they look at a state it still is largely sort of in denial when it comes to dealing with a lot of its fiscal issues. And there's still a great concern as to how these things will work themselves out in the near term. So I think that's the one area that, again, you're going to see continued attention and continued sort of news headlines about um, moving forward. So in summary, um, Illinois and Chicago, again, are still performing somewhat below the U.S. and the Midwest average. Um, it's a little bit of a mystery to us as to why that's occurring. Um, but, you know, at this point, what you can say is, is at least the most recent data suggests maybe Chicago is starting to turn a little bit up on the curve, as is Illinois. So maybe our situation is starting to improve slightly. Um, again, the big concern is going to be fiscal issues moving forward. Um, so with that, thanks for your time and attention, and we're happy to take your questions. Anyone have a question?
Raise your hand. So, Rick, I'll uh, ask one on behalf of all the economic developers in the room um, <laughs> and those of us that have dealt in, in job creation from outside the state. Do you guys track any index of, of jobs moving here from outside the state, creating you know, new employment, not just uh, you know, organic growth? Yeah, I mean, there are, there's measures of that. I mean, there's everything from looking at you know, moving van patterns, I mean, to see actually what the population is doing to other sorts of things where you're getting your announcing. I mean, at this point, you still get more of an impression, because I haven't seen a recent study, but the last one I looked at, looked at was still more shifting within the state, all right? So much of the attention that gets paid right now is to jobs that have been moving into Chicago from the suburbs. Um, so those aren't new jobs necessarily to be created, they're new to Chicago, but there's, you know, so it's sort of, you know, just reshifting kind of the economic development paradigm, um, you know, in terms of that. Um, I think at this point, the other thing that's an issue for Illinois is if you look at the profile of who the large employers are in the state, um, a lot of them are um, large, well-known firms, but they're not high-growth companies, all right? So they're the types of firms that aren't necessarily the cutting-edge firms that are going to be adding lots and lots of new bodies as, as time goes on. Um, so, you know, things in terms of entrepreneurism is one of the things that people are looking a lot at. Um, births and deaths in terms of firms is another good thing to look at and see how Chicago is doing in terms of that. And then uh, ability to attract venture capital is another one. Um, again, historically, it's been a weak, weak story for most of the Midwest. Um, we're very good at creating, for inventing stuff. We're very bad at commercializing it. And so you don't see those sort of spillover effects from the invention occurring here, translating into new job creation and new industries being formed in the state. Um, it's hard. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of companies have complained about it. I mean, the, the problem is, is if you look at it in a, a just an objective point of view, Illinois is not really out of line with most of the other Midwestern states in terms of its actual tax structure at this point. In some cases, it's actually lower than some of the states that are, are claiming that they're more favorable for development. Um, so it, it's less clear. I think it's more, the greater concern is the moving forward perspective, which is, um, the belief that we haven't solved the problem even with the increased taxes that have been layered on, that this is just an opening round of future events that will occur. Should we be concerned about deflation? Scott, you want to Well, for the most part, uh, if you look at measures uh, constructed from like TIPS, measures like that that are inflation protected, uh, they've, you know, they had a downward trend during the year. I think there was some thought of deflation, but they've stabilized. Um, at this point, I don't really see deflation. Um, I don't, I would say if you had to weigh the balance of risks, though, uh, I would put deflation as a slightly higher risk than runaway inflation at this point, that's for certain. Um, it seems like we've staved off for the most part that deflationary spiral that was starting to develop early on in the recession. Uh, please give a round of applause for our speakers. And we do have a hard copy survey today, so you won't have it in your inbox. Please fill that out. We want your feedback. Thank you.